And uh, by the way, if, if it totally sucks, <laughs> we just won't release it and nobody will know. And then you and I just had a fun okay. conversation for 30 minutes. Or so, okay. I, I, lo- I love that. That's great. All right. Here we go. What's up, UX fam? How's your mom and them? Welcome to another episode of Beyond UX Design. I'm Jeremy, and I have got a very special guest for you guys today. In fact, you're the most special guest I've ever had, Jeff, because you are the only guest I've ever had. <laughs> very first guest in the show. I met Jeff on LinkedIn. Uh, how did we meet? I we just randomly, I think I randomly found you from somebody. I, I don't I even don't know, know how we met. It was on somebody's post, and I'm not sure. Yeah. Bad memory. Yeah, who knows? But anyway, so we got Jeff. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about some stuff in a minute, but Jeff is a UX designer. He's an entrepreneur and over his 20 year career, he's worked with big tech companies like Amazon, Motorola, Tiny Seed Stage Startups and and everything in between. And he's been an in-house employee, a startup co-founder, a founder of StepLadder, a UX and visual design firm he started in 2014. Jeff also writes on LinkedIn where he shares advanced tips that help designers excel in their careers. And Jeff, I feel like you're sort of like my my uh, LinkedIn spirit animal. Every time I see your post, I'm like, yes, yes. You know, I just say that to, say to myself. So anyway, I wanted to have Jeff on the show today. And the reason why I wanted to have Jeff on the show, a couple of weeks back, I, I connected with Jeff, a couple months back, I connected with Jeff. And I actually said, hey, uh, or you mentioned something about the podcast. And I said, I'd love to know what you think. And Jeff actually sent me a whole list of stuff, what he actually <laughs> thought. And I really appreciated that. One of the things that Jeff said back episode, God, what was that? Episode two or three. I talked about what is UX, trying to define UX for me personally. And Jeff wrote back and said, I agree with some things and I, I couldn't disagree with other things more. And I said, let's talk about what it is that you disagree with. And I think that's a really exciting thing to kind of dive into. Everybody listening out there, up until now, first guess, it's been just sort of me, my own personal opinion. I think everybody out there should have the opportunity to hear another perspective. So I want to talk about that with you today. How's that sound, Jeff? Sounds great. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. Yeah, man. Awesome. Well, I am super stoked to have you. Uh, so let's talk about this for a second. So I, I talked about you, what is UX. And from my personal perspective, you know, it's the experience that a user has. And I think we probably would would both agree with that there. What about that episode? Um, was it that you thought, you know, you, you didn't necessarily agree with? Well, the first thing I think, and I agree with your definition, with your, your broad definition that, it, you know, the user experience is more than just the pixels they encounter on the screen. It can involve any number of things that are, are beyond our control sometimes. So I, that really resonated with me. I agreed with that. I think the, the big thing I reacted to was, I think you started that episode by saying something like, I see people write UX slash UI or say ah, yeah, UX okay, UI. Yeah. <laughs> and then you you got into this whole thing. I think I saw you write this my on the post. My eyes were in the back of the head. But yeah. you're like, oh, my <laughs> eyes were in the back of my head. And I'm like, oh, shit. Jeremy must hate me now because I say UX UI all the time. Um, I speak like that. I write like that. Um, and I have for, for a number of years. And so I think the... Most of it was I was really curious about why it makes your eyes roll back and, and, and oh, you know, why that happens for you. And then I listened to your episode. I've listened to it a couple of times. And yeah. it, it, I don't know if we're disagreeing or if we just have different takes on this or different experiences. Mm. But yeah. um, I think my, my, quote, disagreement maybe stems from an assumption that I'm making about what UX UI means to you. Mm. And let me let me see if I can tell you and see if yeah, we'll see yeah. if I'm right or not. But I think when you see or hear or whatever somebody say UX UI, your eyes roll back into your head because it, 
you think it means the same thing, and that thing is mostly the interface, the visual mm. aspect of it. Is that is that right? Am I right about yeah. that? Is that well, what let it me, feels like, like uh, yeah, and at first, I, I did. I, maybe I came on a little strong there. I, my eyes no, actually no, don't okay. roll in back of my head. But when I when I see UXUI, <laughs> what what it what I read, and this is again my perspective, yeah. and maybe I'm projecting, but I I assume that since they are lumping them together into one phrase, UXUI, like yeah. it's it's almost like one word. There's not even a space between the X and the U, uh, you know. And when I hear that, what it tells me, or what I read into it, is that it's it's the same. That the interface and the UX piece are essentially the same and are done by the same person. Or if you are good at one, you should also be good at the other. Or if you're not good at the UI, you're not a good UXer, right? Or even vice versa. And I think that's the part that I have a problem with, where when I hear the UX UI, those things to me are separate. I think UX and I think UI. And I think those are two roles. You can be good at both, but it isn't necessarily the same person that always does those things. And that's, that's the, that's my perspective. <laughs> Got it. So, totally makes yeah. sense. Okay. Yeah. So I was, I was right or, or adjacent to being mm-hmm. right yeah. in my, yeah, yeah, yeah. my interpretation of what it means yep. to you. Okay. That totally makes sense. And it's, it's really interesting to hear. Um, I have to say, um, I very happily tuned out of the debate about what we call ourselves as a profession in like 2009. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and I seriously, I, I loved just it. buried my head in the sand. Mm-hmm. I, I kind of got involved. I was really involved with the community at that time. There's a huge debate going around about what we call ourselves, which yeah. makes sense because our profession is even younger than it is now. Yeah. Um, but I kind of, for me, I just realized that it wasn't helpful for me to burn calories debating with people That's about so like, what yeah, we call so ourselves. Fair. And so I just focused on work and doing the work. So just do the work. Yeah. A lot of this could be, I'm just out of touch with this debate <laughs> and this conversation in our community. I totally, um, totally realize that, but let me tell you what it means to me and, sure, and yeah, why. Ahead, so when I see someone, write The way, the way that I write it is UX slash UI. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I totally understand how anybody could think of it in the way that you do. But to me, it means it means two different things. Mm-hmm. And you do both. Okay. And the reason that I think that is for a very long time, people I worked with um, when I was a full-time employee in companies, um, as well as all the clients I've had with StepLadder over the years, they basically, a lot of them come to me and say, okay, we're talking about a designer on my team or if I'm helping them find a designer. They basically want to know, is this person going to stop at the wireframes or are they going to do everything soup to nuts, beginning to end? Are they a UX UI designer or a UX designer? I've heard full stack designer used quite a bit recently. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why to me, it's like, you know, as, as with everything in life, of course, it can be explained with a Venn diagram. Mm-hmm. And this is no different. I think the UX yeah. and UI are, are different but related, and there's a bit of overlap. Yeah. And a designer either has a skill set to be a one-person show from the very mm-hmm. beginning of a project where nobody knows what they're doing yet to the end where you're talking about pixels and shipping stuff. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's interesting. And so that's what it means to me. And it's kind of funny I, you know, we are active on LinkedIn. You have a little headline on LinkedIn that tells people what you do. Uh-huh. I started off by saying something like, 
I help UX designers level up because I just got active on LinkedIn a while ago and that's what I was trying to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I saw, I, I started dipping my toes in the water of this debate again because I'm now here I am popping my head up again after forever. <laughs> yeah, you're on social media. You can't um, ignore it now. Yeah, <laughs> and then I see this UX, and now there's UX, there's UX UI, there's UI UX, mm-hmm. there's product design, there's digital product design, there's interaction design. We still yeah. have no idea how oh, to no. describe what we do. Absolutely. But I saw a lot of people saying UX UI and talking about this, can you do both thing? And I was mm-hmm. like, oh, crap, I need to put the UX UI into some of the language I use to describe myself so people don't think I, quote, just do the UX. Ah, that's a really interesting perspective, yeah. So that's just kind of my experience with it and it, how I communicate with other people, with clients, what I hear people ask for and what their needs are. And so to me, it's like two different, mostly different things that are closely right. related. Yeah. And you've either got the skill set to go across that whole spectrum or not. Yeah. So I think it might even be worth, I think, maybe defining what, what I perceive as UX by itself and what I perceive UI by itself. Okay. And so for me, the UX piece is about problem solving, essentially, right? It's about solving problems. And the, the tools that you use, you know, could, can change depending on what it is. You could solve problems with conversations. You could solve problems with napkins, you know, writing on the back of a napkin, you could solve them with whiteboards, you could solve them with high fidelity wireframes. But at the end of the day, the UX piece is about solving problems, I think. And when I think about that, I think that that skill set on its own is detached from visual design. And that piece is about asking questions. It's, it, it, it's about, you know, uncovering insights. It's about connecting dots. It's about, you know, any number of things that aren't necessarily making things pretty. Yeah. And I think for me, you know, UI is definitely important for good UX. You can't have, I think, a really great user experience with really ugly interface that that looks, you know, dated or or, or doesn't function very well. But a really beautiful interface will not save a broken experience if the other things weren't done. And I think for me, that's where I make that distinction is that, you know, being able to do both is wonderful. But there's a lot of people I've seen that have backgrounds in things like psychology and they are fantastic at uncovering insights. And, you know, a lot of times end up being researchers, not always though. You know, I've seen architects that have a background in psychology. I've seen researchers that have, you know, a doctorate in psychology, which is amazing. And those people are very bad visual designers. Their, their, their reports are ugly. Their, you know, the, their, their resumes are black and white. Looks like it came out of something from like the eighties, you know, but they're very effective at their job. And what I see as like a UI designer is a totally different skill set. You know, they're, maybe they have a background in illustration or graphic design and they understand topography and colors and, and, and data hierarchy potentially and things like that. You know, those people aren't always really good at uncovering insights, but they are very good visual designers and they can make things pretty. And that's where I see like, you know, if you can do both full stack, great, awesome. You're a unicorn. You know, if you could sprinkle a little bit of code in there, you know, you're, you're, uh, you're like basically a god. Uh, but if, uh, you know, not a lot, not everybody can and not everybody is good at those things. And that's where I see them as being separate. Because I think like for me, the problem is combining them implies you have to be able to do both to be effective at your job. And I think if you, and this is maybe even, maybe I come from a different place, like a background where it's more enterprise design. And I think like from your perspective, it's more consulting work, I guess, you know, like I know you worked in, at Amazon and other places, but you've mm-hmm. been doing, you know, stepladder for some time with, I think 2015, I think is what I saw when you started. Yeah. 2014. Yeah. And so, yeah, 2014. And so from that perspective, I assume when you started, 
it was just you. You probably had to do both <laughs> to be really effective, right? Maybe, I don't know. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm assuming more than, than what's accurate. But in the enterprise space, bigger teams, a lot of time, more segregation of duties, and therefore the, the really great UX designers are not always really great UI designers. So that's, that's also maybe where I'm coming from, maybe a different, different perspective in that regard too. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And it's, um, it's interesting the, the way you sliced and diced around enterprise versus consumer stuff or size mm-hmm. of company. There's all different sorts of situations. Yeah. Um, it, and I've, I've seen both. Um, it, you're absolutely right. When I started Stepladder, it was just me out doing mm-hmm. contracting for people yeah. I'd met over the years. And then over time, in spite of my every effort to mess it up, it has grown into <laughs> a, a design firm. But That's awesome. Um, I... And almost, I'm trying to think back through 20 years, but I can only think of one or two examples where either me or the team I was working on or other designers I was, I was working with weren't doing everything. And most of the situations that I'm in, and this, this is how I would describe myself as a, as a designer, as, you know, if you think about the T-shaped model, yeah. my strength is the UX stuff, all the stuff that you're talking about, solving problems, understanding businesses, working with stakeholders, herding cats, doing all that sort of thing. <laughs> um, I can do visual design, but I'm not a great visual designer. I think especially this is true nowadays, most of the companies and teams that I work with have some flavor of design system in place. Yeah. So you're not, you know, whether that's just a really light style guide, some sort of visual language, maybe it's a fully fleshed out component library or design system with code. Um, but typically what I find is the designer isn't doing the visual stuff from scratch. Right. If that were the case, then that's when I look to bring in someone who's a highly specialized UI designer or visual designer. Um, but most of the time that language is there and you're, you're drawing from a kit of parts to put together interfaces. Mm-hmm. And so it's like a, maybe it's a different level of skill with visual design or UI design. But that's what most of my, over the course of my career, that's what most of the, the products and projects I've, I've worked on have been like. Um, there, it, it's interesting, the one team that was big enough where we had a highly, highly specialized design team. So it was researchers, it was UX designers, it was visual designers, there was a production team, there were her project managers, like the whole thing um, was actually a consumer electronics product. It wasn't an enterprise thing, uh, but it was a massive effort. It was a V1 consumer electronics product launch, and it required oh, wow. that level of, of yeah. specialization. Even the enterprise stuff I've done in the past eight years with Stepladder has been more we have a design system in place. We need somebody who's mostly a UX designer, but is good enough mm-hmm. of visual design to use yeah. our components and put together a beautiful UI. You know, it's funny. You mentioned uh, design systems and, and how you don't have to be a visual designer to put together really great applications. And I, I don't know, I'm paraphrasing. Maybe those aren't your exact words. Uh, but I work with a d- uh, product designer at, at where, I, where I'm at today, and we have a design system. And there, you know, we've got a lot of product designers and a lot of products that are all using the same design system. But mm-hmm. when I look at, at one product designer in particular, it's actually a team of, of two different guys. When I see the work that they do, they, they push the boundaries of this design system. And they're fantastic visual designers outside of, uh, you know, just this design system. The, the work they've done in the past is amazing. But they're able to take the guardrails of a design system and push them and, and work within the bounds of the, the, the constraints of that design system and still create something that is unique from the other designs that are using the exact same system. 
you know, I'm always telling them, I'm like, guys, you have got to share this with the rest of the team. What are you doing? What is your thought process? How are you doing it? You know? And it's just funny. It's one of those things where visual designers that are really great visual designers can still take something like a design system and bend them in such a way where it still looks and feels as if it's part of that larger suite, but it still is unique and different and attractive all at the same time. And, you know, I hear a lot of times like, you know, designers complain about design systems and how they make things look, look boring and the same and blah, blah, blah. And I always think about these two guys that I work with that are able to take those design systems and just use the, the exact same rules that everyone else is using and just apply them in unique and creative ways that make it stand out while still making it fit. And I don't know how it's, it's hard to explain without actually seeing them, yeah. but it's just incredible. I, I love that. And, and that's to me, when you have like those visual, even when you have you know, a design system, a visual designer can still take it and really make it shine and make it stand out and unique. And I just love that about design systems that, you know, it, it could just look, you know, the bare bones and it looks good, but it can also look amazing. It can stand out. And I've always just really appreciated that about these two guys. Interesting. You've got me really curious to see examples of the work. Yeah. And it's um, all enterprise stuff. So when you look, well, yeah. I, I couldn't show you because it's all probably like top secret and I have to have an NDA, but, but the, you know, the way they're able to take just simple stuff like data grids, data tables, and use panels instead of a modal or use this instead of that, or use, you know, like filters, the way they lay out the filters versus how other teams have done it. And it's just, it's, it's incredible to look at, but anyway, that, that idea of, you know, visual design, even taking that and applying it to a design system. I've always been kind of fascinated by it. And I, yeah. I personally, for me, I don't know how other people design. And, and then maybe this is because I, I feel like I'm not super strong in the visual design aspect, but I like having constraints, designing blue sky stuff and completely, you know, brand new. You give me a white piece of paper, I'm terrified. But if you give me, you know, a white piece of paper with some building blocks, you know, I'm able to take that and, and do something with it versus, you know, you've got any color, you've got any type, any font, anything, any spacing you want go build something brand new. That to me has always been a little overwhelming. I don't know. Maybe I'm just not a great <laughs> UX designer, but that's always been so. I, I like having design systems personally. Yeah. Constraints are helpful, aren't they? And, and even when a part of the work we do in our firm is, is brand strategy and identity. And that really mm -hmm. is helping someone come up with, you know, they've got a blank canvas and they're staring at it. And it's like, what the hell do we do? Yeah. The, the first step in going through that process is to create some constraints yeah. It, you know, it's about defining who you are, who you're not, and therefore how you should look and feel to the world. But you have to have constraints. Otherwise, you just kind of go nuts, which is the feeling, that overwhelming feeling kind of, I get a big pit in my stomach at the beginning of some projects where it's like, what are we going to do? Oh, yeah. And you got to push through that somehow. Oh, that's interesting you guys do that. Because uh, I mean, most of the time, like software shops, you know, UX shops, software shops, they don't touch <laughs> branding and identity and stuff. That's kind of cool that you guys do that. You're like a full service sort of shop. That's cool. I thought you were going to say full stack for a second there. <laughs> full service. That's my, that's my advertising days coming back, uh, full service. Um, yeah, but it's, um, and I can't take credit for that. I have a business partner named Kelly Shack who has the opposite specialization that I do. I'm mostly focused on UX and I'm I'm a decent slash borderline good visual designer. Mm -hmm. She's the UI to your UX is what you're saying. <laughs> yeah, she has been focused for almost two decades on, on visual design stuff. And so that's awesome. brand identity, things like advertising, marketing, things like that. So she really runs that, that side of the, of the firm, but we do, you know, we do work across both and sometimes for the same client. Now, you know, this is maybe another, just thinking more about this kind of UX versus UI idea. The way that I like to approach them is really more the same that I, I kind of approach my enterprise software 
uh, work and how we approach personas. So we have these, you know, uh, you know, everybody out there is, is familiar with personas, I'm sure. Hopefully by now you're familiar, but it's just a, really a generic kind of uh, a way to describe a user in a generic way that kind of helps you frame your thought process through the lens of this particular type of user or, you know, percentage of users or whatever. And what we found over time working in enterprise software is that personas aren't as valuable as they might be to commercial applications. So think about this, you know, in a, in a commercial environment, you're building, you know, maybe you're creating advertising or an ad campaign and you're focused on, you know, a persona, Mary. And Mary is a soccer mom. She drives a Chevy Tahoe. Um, she, <laughs> she, you know, likes to drink iced coffee with her, you know, straw or whatever. You know, that's the kind of persona that I think of a sort of generic kind of like a, your personality kind of thing. And when you think about enterprise, personas don't really apply. Like it doesn't matter if your user is, you know, drives a Tahoe or a Harley, they still have the same job to do, you know, their task, they get paid every other week. They have to do this thing. And it doesn't matter if they drive a Tahoe, if they drink Starbucks, if they drink Dunkin' Donuts coffee, if they like it black or with cream, they still have to get their work done. And so we've moved away from this idea of personas and more talking about user roles or jobs to be done. Mm -hmm. And so that, to me, I sort of take this idea of UX UI and I think about it less of you know, a combined thing and more of a, I, there's a UX job to be done and there's a UI job to be done. And they're just jobs to be done. Whether you do one, you do both, you do one well, one sort of well, you do both really well, you do both very poorly. They're just two separate aspects of a job that you need to do versus, you know, UX, UI altogether, right? And yeah. that's kind of how I approach that is, you know, they're jobs, they're very specific jobs, they're very specific skill sets. You can do both. You could, you can excel at both. Or you could pick one and, and specialize, but, you know, and, and that is good either way. You know, people need both. Yeah, I think that's right. Any other thoughts? What's been grinding your gears, Jeff, in the industry? Anything uh, just kind of driving you nuts? What's been driving me nuts? Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So, well, you know, I'm, I'm about to get myself into trouble, I'm sure. But uh -huh. Watch out. So I kind of, <laughs> I popped my head out of the sand and started writing on LinkedIn and then, you know, getting familiar with the evergreen debate in our industry about what to call ourselves. And so mm -hmm. not only is there this kind of nuanced conversation you and I are having around UX UI, but that's also been slowly getting replaced or being trying to get replaced with the term product design, right. which is a whole other thing, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so that's, I, I think that's one thing that's maybe on my mind. It, it's almost somewhat frustrating to me. Yeah. Um, because, and, and I'll tell you why, um, the last time I paid attention to this debate, like, you know, 400 years ago, when <laughs> it was earlier in my career, um, no one knew what UX design was or right. some of the other things that we were using back then, which were like interaction design or human computer interaction or user centered design. Nobody knew what that meant. Right. Um, and it was a massive effort to, to try to educate people about what we do and why it should matter. And over time, you know, now I see people who are not designers use the words user experience just in casual conversation. Mm. Um, I can run into people in a grocery store. And I mean, it, admittedly, I live in a, a definite bubble here in Seattle that is surrounded by tech people. But even out, you know, on the Internet, you see people who are not designers say, wow, the, the UX of this app sucks. <laughs> and, you know, yeah. and you look at their profile yeah. and they're in sales or something like that. It, it's become a part of our terminology. And then I, f I feel like to me, and again, I could be wrong about this because I haven't been paying attention in a while, but 
to me, it's like we finally started making progress. Like people are understanding what we do and why it matters and they can take that and incorporate it in, into their own language. And then of course we go and change our title once, as soon as that starts <laughs> happening. So now yeah. it's like, okay, we're not UX designers. We're not interaction designers. We're product designers. Right. Um, but of course there's other people that have been around for decades who are also product designers. Yeah. And so now we need to differentiate and say we're digital product designers. Right. And I'm just like, oh, <laughs> what, what have we done? What have we done? Yeah. Um, well, but that's just me being old and curmudgeonly, maybe. Yeah. Well, you know, I wonder too, this is this is something I've thought about a little bit as well. And I, the, I, I think about the maturity of the the industry as a whole. And like you said, you know, 20 years ago, we weren't calling it UX design. We were calling it different, something different. But that job always kind of existed. And I think about yeah. something like a doctor, right? This is thousands of years old, this profession. And up until relatively recently, you know, we didn't have people who had laser focus on one very specific thing. Like, you know, I'm a doctor and I, you know, I'm not a doctor. So, but by the way, I'm going to, anybody listening who may or may not be a doctor, forgive me, but you know, you've got a podiatrist and they focus on the feet. They have, you have a skin doctor, they focus on this. There's cancer doctors, there's, you know, doctors of medicine, there's doctors of psychology, there's all these various forms of medicine that do very, very, very specific things. But you didn't have that when you started out. You know, over time you had, you know, this person who, who you know, created some, a vial of something and they made you drink it and you may or may not have gotten better. And over time you were, science came into play and then they had more specific and they started to realize different things. And then people focused on those very specific things over time. And now you've got very specific fields. You know, same with law, right? And I think like from my perspective, and I don't know, I'm just guessing, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but as we progress, we're starting to realize that there are more specific things and more, more specific things to dive into. And so I focusing solely on the, the, the border radius of the button is not going to get you a good user experience, but we've discovered over time that there's new tools, there's new techniques, there's mapping service blueprints, you know, those, that type of thing to go out and explore and identify problems that we can then go and solve. And so that is different from designing the interface. So we've started to have people who focus on that. We call them architects or service designers, and they focus on that. And then we have people who focus on the visuals versus everything. And then we have, you know, product designer now, and this is sort of my assumption. I don't, I don't have any hard proof, but I would imagine <laughs> that we stepped back and we said, look, you, you're asking me product person or functional person to design this interface, but I don't understand the larger picture. And I don't understand why this feature is required but you're asking me to go design it. I can design it in a bubble and it may or may not be accurate and it may or may not fit with the rest of the thing. So you, you sort of think, well, now I need somebody to design the experience of the product, you know? And so now I need somebody who is, who is thinking more holistically about the future of this thing that we call a product that's being sold. And there's a, there's a journey that someone would use start to finish. And they're thinking about journey maps. And then, you know, then you've got another level, which might be more tactical interaction design. I'm designing the interaction of that specific feature. And, but I'm working with a product designer who understands the big picture. And then higher level, you've got, you know, like architects or something who's thinking about the entire service from start to finish. You know, how does this connect from here to there? Maybe I'm not in the product the whole time. Maybe I'm in four or five products, but I'm doing a job together and those four or five products work in conjunction. So I'm above that now, you know, I'm higher than a product. You know what I mean? So I, I don't know, maybe that's, I don't know how accurate that is. And if that was the actual progression, but that's kind of how I see it as, as, as sort of nuance. Like I, I focus on this, I focus on that. And, you know, like you said, Venn diagram, there's a lot of overlap. There's a lot of, <laughs> a lot of stuff we, we, we say we do. It's not a clear cut and dry, but that's yeah, kind of, yeah. I don't know. I don't know how accurate that is. That's just sort of my hypothesis, I guess. 
Yeah, it makes sense. And, you know, I don't know either. And it's um, maybe somewhat depressing that, (laughs) you know, certainly me, I've been doing this for 20 years. I think you've been doing it for a long time, too. But Mm -hmm. just the fact that we can have such a wide range of understandings and definitions about our job um, really says something about our profession. I don't and I don't know that it's a bad thing. I mean, we're we're a young profession, so it's probably just natural, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, it, it just underscores for me, you know, the same thing that was true 15 years ago is still true. I mean, mm-hmm. the, the work that I do today is not any different than what I was doing in 2005 right. when my company didn't know what to call me. So my job title was, I forget what it was. I had three at my first job. It was like web content consultant. (laughs) And then uh, I was a business analyst and there was, there was another one in there too, but the work has always been exactly the same. It hasn't changed. And then after that I was called an interaction designer and then I was a UX designer. And then now I don't know what the hell I am, but you know, it's, it's really funny that you mentioned that because uh, this, I I had this conversation, I'm not lying 30 minutes before I got uh, on, on the call with you, but I was talking with a colleague of mine about what it is that an architect does. So I'm, I'm a, a experienced architect, which is funny side note. I'm going to go off on a tangent here a second. You specifically called out a, a few minutes ago that everybody kind of, they think they know what UX is and they're dropping these words and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I think part of our problem as designers is design has a connotation to it. The word design, right? And when people see the word design, I think, I could be wrong, but I think that they associate it with visuals with graphic design, visual yeah. design, right? And so when you say I'm a UX designer, but you're not actually designing something when it comes to enterprise design, I don't know how, I'm sure in your own consultancy, you can kind of make this process, whatever you want it to be. But in larger companies, those people that don't, that are totally ignorant of what a UX designer should or shouldn't do, assume that you're there to make the thing pretty and they will just take your you know, your, uh, your, your, your requirements or whatever, hand them to you and say, we figured everything out. Now go make them look pretty. And that's what they associate the designer to be. I've heard before specifically, oh, we're not ready for designers. We're not ready for the UX team to come in. We still don't know what we're doing. And I'm thinking like, (laughs) that's the perfect time to bring in the UX team when you don't know, you don't have a plan yet. Right. So anyway, this idea of UX designer and, and the design specifically has certain connotations. And I was talking with a colleague right before this. It's so funny. And we were talking about our role as architects and how we're not being utilized as we think we should be because we should be doing X, Y, and Z. And I rattled off some of the things that I thought that I should be doing. And, and they said, that sounds like a, pro, a program manager. And I was like, it does, doesn't it? But we don't have program managers. So call <laughs> me a program manager. I don't care. It doesn't matter what my title is. As long as I'm doing something to help the users have a better experience at the end of the day, that's what I care about, you know? And so it's funny that you mentioned that you call you, you, your original title was BA because I see business analyst as very similar to what a product manager would be today. I don't see a lot of BAs anymore. I see a lot of product managers, but they're almost the same role from my experience. At least they're coming up with requirements. They're making sure things get built on time. I've seen BA used in more of a waterfall aspect in the past. So, uh, you know, but Product manager seems to be more like kind of agile kind of focus. I don't know if that has something to do with like safe, agile development or something. But anyway, that idea you had, like, you know, you were a BA, but you're doing the same thing. And I was thinking to myself, like, call me a program manager. I don't care. I'm still like coming up. I'm strategizing. I'm coming up with potential solutions. I'm coming up with ideas and roadmaps and, and all that stuff. 
which is what, and, and, and we struggle with our team because they don't think of UX as doing that. They think of the product team as doing that. Yeah. That's sort of where I think we struggle a lot, especially in giant companies where you have a lot of people who are totally ignorant of software in general, let alone UX, thinking that you build software by me giving you requirements and then an engineer builds it. And at some point someone designs it and makes it pretty and, and says the, the button is blue. Yeah. You know? And so it's just kind of interesting that idea of jobs to be done. You know, you're still doing the same job, but your title is totally different. Doesn't matter what your title is. I think at the end of the day, for me, what I care about in enterprise specifically is helping people do their jobs faster and easier and better with less stress, you know? And that's why I love enterprise specifically, because I like helping people get their work done without having to think about the tool, you know, think yeah. about the work you're doing, forget the tool. The tool is just there to help you do your job. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why I love enterprise a lot. But anyway, well, that, I, I, that just made me think of that. I, I love that idea of just like, you used to be a BA, but you're still doing the same thing. I love that. <laughs> I know. I know. I mean, when I started doing this, we were calling people webmasters. It was yeah. like, you know, <laughs> yep. way, way back. Anyway, we're just going to date ourselves if we keep going oh, yeah, down dude. this path. But Jeremy, <laughs> you're, so your, your job is in, um, it is in aviation. Is that right? Uh, or, well, we changed our name. It's aerospace now. So it's aerospace. even more broad Sorry, than yeah, aviation. So okay. now it's, now it's, uh, aviation plus space. <laughs> so. Okay. so it's, it's a company that's not solely in the business of making software. They do other stuff. Here's the thing that drives me nuts. We hear constantly from the functional teams, the people who own the company, work in the company. I hear this all the time that we're not a software company. We're a manufacturing company. And what I think about is we are manufacturing engines. Yes, that's true. But these engines are the most high-tech engines that you can possibly buy today. They are 3D printed with the most advanced aluminum or, or alloys. I don't even know what it is because they don't tell us. But the most advanced alloys that are top secret and, you know, the, the most advanced engines and they're the most fuel-efficient engines and they're amazing and they fly higher and farther and faster and more fuel-efficient than any other jet that you can buy. That's, they're that high-tech. Mm -hmm. Right. So we are a manufacturing company. We are a high tech manufacturing company that should build software that is as high tech as the engines that we produce. And what's funny is I was on a research trip to Southwest Airlines not long ago. And one of them even said to us, one of the power plant engineers, the, the, the engineers that kind of, you know, maintain the engines at the airline, they said, you know, your engines are so amazing and they're so high tech. We expected more from your software, you know? And it's just funny to me that like when I hear people say that exact thing and it drives me nuts because we are a high tech company yeah. that builds yeah. engines and we should have, we should have, we should put just as much thought into our software as we do our engines. Yeah. So to answer your question, we focus more on the manufacturing than the software. Yes. Yeah. Uh, a roundabout way to answer your question there. Sorry. So you've got, <laughs> um, no, I feel for you because that's a real uphill battle to fight when people, you know. And I, I think what you said earlier was exactly right, that just the word design comes with all kinds of assumptions and biases baked in. Mm -hmm. um, and if you're working in a company, especially one like yours, where they're, they just come from a different place, they're used to making physical stuff. They're not, they don't make their living just by making software. They view it as something else. Right. Uh, but right. not something they focus on. It can be a real challenge to, to work through that stuff. So yeah. Um, keep fighting the good fight. I hope you're, you're making progress. Yeah. You know, it's better now than it was a year ago. So yeah, it's always been, you know what? I, I get paid every two weeks, so I can't really complain all that much. And you know, it is, it is some of them. And this is again, you know, something I, I tell, uh, I talk to a lot of junior designers and they all, they all say, 
very similar things. Like, I really like the design of it. I really want to work in like commercial. I want to build software that people use and I can, you can buy in the app store. You can, you know, download and, and everybody can see. I want to build stuff that people can see on a billboard or something, you know? And I just think to myself like, yeah, that's cool. That's great. But like, I just love the idea of building these really complex, or solving these really complex problems. You know, that's like something yeah. that I just, I just find so incredibly rewarding. And I don't know, you not to say commercial tools are not complex because they certainly are. But, um, you know, for me, I, I just love the idea of building like really complex enterprise software. It's not all data tables. It's not all, you know, Excel on, on the, on the web. Uh, it really is like way more complex than that. So I don't know. I, I'm, I'm a diehard, uh, evangelist for, uh, I'm a diehard evangelist for enterprise software for sure. No, I'm so. with you. Um, it's, um, it's way different than consumer stuff. I've done, I've been really lucky in my career and done mm -hmm. both. I've done stuff yeah. used by tens of millions of people. And one of the most interesting jobs I had actually was a piece of custom software that the company made for six people who mm -hmm. literally there are only six of them who performed yeah. this highly complicated and super important role within the company. And it was me and one other designer were the design team supporting, you know, two designers and like 74,000 engineers or something like that. I'm wow. exaggerating a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was, it was more engineers than designers, but anyway, yeah. um, the, the people who use the software were just right there with us and we went That's with awesome. them and sat with them and we treated it like we were their apprentice. They yeah. trained us on how to do their job. We knew them very well. We knew what problems they had very well. We started to understand how complicated it was. Mm -hmm. um, what their journey was in terms of how they make decisions and what data they need at different steps. And it was um, easy, super easy access to users, which is not always the case. Um, yeah. And it was just so much fun because we got I to get that. really yeah. familiar with a specific problem and make it for a very, very small niche of people. And then I, I still think about it. It was, yeah. I left that and then started doing consumer stuff and it was just, you know, could not be more different. Yeah. I, I, I love that too. I, the idea that you had about training. I love that. A previous role, my current company, but previous role, we were building some, we were digitizing the shop floor component repair process. So, you know, these engines come off wing, they, they're just like a car. You got to inspect and repair them every X amount of hours. And, you know, you got to take them apart. You got to do a bunch of stuff to them. And they're very, you know, complex machines that have to be inspected and repaired. Very, very complex process. But we, I would go to the shops all the time and, I asked at one point, I was like, can you train me to be an operator? Like, can you train me how to do this? You know? And they were like, no way, too much money, you know, it costs too much, too much time. We'd you know, but I was like, oh God, that'd be so cool if you could train me. Cause I want to be able to, I want to be able to experience. I mean, you know, we talk about building empathy all the time. Right. And what's funny, like somebody on LinkedIn not long ago was, was posting, oh, you know, UX designers can't have empathy. We have sympathy. We don't have empathy. And I was like, yeah, but we should try to have empathy. And I think like, this is something like you can actually get in their shoes. You can train to do that thing. You can work as if you were them and, and understand their pain points firsthand, you know, because you're doing the work alongside of them. And I think if more UX designers did that, you know, I think uh, we're able to do that because I'm sure a lot of them would want to, but, but are not allowed to for various reasons that we would have just like a, you know, completely different experience. Yeah, there's nothing quite as eye-opening as, as, you know, literally sitting down with someone at their desk and watching them use something that you designed um, is, you know, humbling, rewarding, fun, yeah. um, all that stuff. But it's a great experience if, if you have the opportunity to do it. I always think about uh, Mike Tyson's quote, everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. 
And that just like <laughs> reminds me so much of doing usability studies and actually getting, or not even just usability, but just watching people use the tool in the real world. You think they're going to do a thing and then they just do something completely. You're like, I didn't even know you could do that with this thing. And I'm the one who designed it, you know? <laughs> All right, Jeff. So we've been talking for a little bit now. We got, I don't want to take up too much of your time, but I got a couple of questions I want to ask you, a little Q&A session for everybody out there listening to Beyond UX Design to just get to know Jeff a little bit better. You got another 15 minutes or so? We could... I'm game. Let's do it. Right on. All right. So these are just some random questions that I came up with just to get to know you a little bit better. Um, you don't have to think too hard. You don't even have to explain them if you don't want to, but What's your favorite non-design book? My favorite non... Oh my gosh, I'm so terrible at picking favorites. Um, Top three. My favorite. <laughs> <laughs> I actually haven't had a whole lot of time to, to read in the past five years of life. I've been, I've been starting a family, but yeah, I'm just going to go with the most do recent... <laughs> yeah, I know, man. I'm going to go with the most recent non-design book I read, which is called Spin. Okay. Um, it's a sci-fi book about an, an alien civilization that encapsulates the planet um, in, in a membrane that slows down time. Oh, um, wow. Okay. Anyway, go read it. It's super good. All right. Yeah, I love that, man. Um, I had a recommendation recently. I, I haven't had a chance to read it, but are you familiar with The Expanse? If you're, if you're reading that book, sci-fi stuff, you probably don't know The Expanse. I have seen it, so I'm much better at consuming television than I am at reading books, apparently. Yeah, well, I've, I've seen The Expanse a couple of times. I loved it. Right on. Well, that's like based on some books, and yeah. I can't remember the name of the book. Was I don't think the book was called The Expanse. I think, uh, I can't remember exactly, but there's, a, there's several books. But I was told to read the books because the books are amazing. I did watch the show, one of the best sci-fi shows, aside from Star Trek, uh, that I, I think I could ever imagine, but, uh, yeah, that, um, that, uh, that book series supposedly is very good. So anyway, I don't know. I haven't read it. All right. Uh, what is your favorite non-design podcast? Non-design podcast. Um, I really like the daily, maybe a boring uh, answer, yeah. but I, I really like the daily from New York <laughs> times. Um, and that's one I, I find myself listening to pretty frequently. Right on, man. I love that. Yeah. I, uh, same for me. Like, you know, it's funny, like when I'm not working, I, I know this is terrible. I should be consuming design content, but when I'm not working, I just don't want to anymore. Like, I just like, give me something else, man. I don't, um, I just can't listen to more design podcasts and YouTube videos and books. And like, I know that I should, I know that I should. I just like, I have such a hard time following along when I'm just like, I just want to like zone out and I just want to do some other stuff. Yeah. So. I think that's okay. And, yeah. and I certainly have been in that same space for, for, several years now. So I'm going to go ahead and give you permission to, to right zone on. out um, and do thank you. you. Do. <laughs> I appreciate it. All right. What's your favorite <laughs> meal? Oh my God. Favorite dish. Favorite dish. Could be something you cook, could be at a restaurant you've had. I told you I was bad at picking favorites and I think I'm, I'm proving how correct I am about that. Um, I really, I don't know if I have a favorite. I like so much different stuff and uh, I, I, I really cannot pick a favorite. I'm sorry. That's okay. Um, I can I can think of like things I've had in my life that I still what remember about, and think about. Yeah, most memorable meal then. How about that? <laughs> most memorable meal. I think um street food in Malaysia is my Ooh. most memorable meal. Um nice. it, they're it, just super tasty stuff and um I still think about a couple of the meals I had on a trip there a few years ago. Dude, I love it. Yeah, it's always the best like just the side side of the road, hole in the wall places are Fantastic. My wife and I went, uh, we did our honeymoon in Costa Rica and down in Costa Rica, they have, they call them sodas. They're like little, just restaurants on the side of the road. They're mm -hmm. called sodas. 
And I had the best like fried chicken cutlet. It, I don't even know. It was like, and it came with like cactus, like Nepalis. Really? Um, yeah. Like cact, like Nepalis, Nepalis, sorry, Nepalis. Um, and like, yeah, it was cactus, uh, like stewed cactus and this fried chicken and like, oh my God, it was like the most amazing thing, but it was, and it was like $3 or something like us, you know, it's just insane. (laughs) Anyway, that's one of the best meals I've had was those little, those little street vendors. All right. Favorite vacation spot. You mentioned Malaysia. I don't know if that'd be my media, but. Mm, favorite vacation spot. Um, I think it, this is something that's really changed over the years. Um, there's like pre-family favorite vacation spot and post-family yeah, right. favorite yep, vacation yep, spot. Yep, I know the, the feeling. The one that's, that's the best for, for my current life is definitely Hawaii. Oh, okay. Um, because, and mostly because it's, it's easy. And I, I used to be the kind of traveler that like, I, I enjoyed the suffering and thought that's yes. why you kind of did it and you had yep. to get out of your comfort zone to see different stuff. Yeah. And I still think that's true. But, um, now with Not a five year old and a two year old, <laughs> I am completely lazy yeah. and it, it's easy for us to, you know, from where we live, Hawaii is an easy flight. It's, yeah. you know, it's not a different country. The currency is the same. It's easy. Yeah. It's safe. Everything is or, you know, if you're a lame dad like me and you're looking for you, easy stuff, there's a lot of things that are just good for families. So I love definitely it. Hawaii right now. It's so funny. You mentioned like when you were younger, you wanted, yeah. When, when I, when my wife and I first started dating, we would just go to New York city for a weekend. Like it was a hundred dollar flight from new Orleans nonstop. You know, we would fly up and we would stay at, uh, you know, the little hostel kind of places where you had to share a bathroom with the floor, you know, for like, it was fun. Yeah. And we loved it, dude. And we'd take the subway <laughs> everywhere and all that stuff. And now I'm just thinking like, I have no desire to wait around <laughs> at one in the morning for a, well, one, I would never be at, at one in the morning with kids anyway, but you know, like waiting around for a subway, I'm just like, I'm just going to take an Uber and go home and go to bed. Yeah. <laughs> I'm too old for this crap, man. Yeah. So yeah, I don't know. Like I, you know, that and like backpacking across Europe and staying in like hostels. Like I would never do that again. Not, not now, you know, I got money. Why am I, why am I, why am I trying to make myself suffer? <laughs> All right. Um, last question. Favorite design tool that is not Figma. Favorite design tool that's not Figma. Uh, let's see. Everybody says Figma nowadays. You know what? <laughs> I'm, uh, I was uh, I was forced to use Figma just recently, about a year and a half or two years ago. I made the transition much later than everyone else. But mm-hmm. favorite design tool that's not Figma, um, I would have to say pen and paper. Pen and paper. Ah, I love that answer. Yeah, I know. Like uh, you mentioned something on LinkedIn uh, a couple of weeks back about using like Quark Express, maybe what was it Quark or something like that? Fireworks. The, fireworks or something. Yeah. yeah. In the early 2000s. And so, and someone else yeah. was talking about Quark. Um, yeah. That's maybe, it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe you saw me comment on their post. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah. Back when I was in design school, we were using Quark and, um, fireworks and stuff. And, uh, <laughs> I had a teacher that would like design in Photoshop and then export the HTML and stuff to make websites. And I was like, Oh no, this is so bad. This is not, you know, (laughs) I don't know. Anyway. All right. This has been awesome, man. I really appreciate the conversation. This is really great stuff. Before we get out of here, you want to plug anything you want to let everybody out there know what's going on with you? Um, sure. I, I, uh, keep it pretty simple. I really am up to two things. One is I, I try to write almost every day, every weekday, at least on, on LinkedIn. Yeah. You're so find me on prolific. LinkedIn and then, um, <laughs> thank you. Um, and then my design firm is called Stepladder. That's stepladderux.com. All right. Right on, man. Well, Jeff, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. 
I'm curious, everybody out there, you know, we talked a lot today about titles and things. I'd love to know what you think. Let us know. Shoot me uh, an email, hello at beyondyourxdesign.com. Find me on LinkedIn. I am not on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook or any of those other places. I think I'm like just an old fart and I just, I just uh, poke around <laughs> LinkedIn. That's where you can find me. But yeah, let us know. I'd, I'd love to hear from, from everybody out there. What does UX UI mean to you? I'd love to know. So if you like what you heard today, don't forget, like or subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you feel like you're getting something out of the show, I would really appreciate you leaving a five-star review. That would help me out so incredibly much. And if you know somebody who might dig this show and find some of this useful, I'd love it if you told a friend. I hope you keep coming back for more great UX tips from Beyond UX Design. And until next time, remember, you're more than a designer because there's more to UX than design. Take care, y'all. We'll be right back.